I just didn't understand why connecting the best freelancers to great companies couldn't be frictionless. That's Shib Matthew, founder of the elite freelancer platform, You Know Juno. They've built a reputation of disrupting traditional recruitment and bridging the gap between hirer and freelancer. Since day one, our goal at Unojuno has been to address every frustration we had as either freelancers or hirers. From direct and transparent communication, to taking the stress out of getting paid on time, to being properly recognised for great work. Today, Unojuno is now the world's largest marketplace of premium creative and tech talent. Last year we reached half a billion pounds in freelancer bookings, and we still feel like we're just beginning. If you would like to know more about Unojuno, their views on the future of work being freelance, and what they can do for you, head on over to unojuno.com. Hello, this is Where Did It All Go Right, the podcast where we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their careers. We try and find out how our guests got to do the jobs they love. Was it luck or just sheer brilliance? We've got some great stories and we hope to inspire you too, whether you're mowing the lawn, doing the washing or got your feet up on the sofa. This week, our guest is the incredibly enthusiastic Tim Dunn. You might be watching him on TV at the moment in Secrets of the London Underground and he's never too far away from a train. In fact, when we chatted, guess where he was? Yep, a train station. Tim, thank you so much for talking to me. I know probably life is very busy at the moment. Well, congratulations on the Secrets of the London Underground. I saw a tweet from you this morning. Um, uh, you know, you'd be great in a pub quiz because oh. there, was a, there was a great fact that you said this morning about the only line in the underground that goes underground. And I can't remember the answer, so I'd be rubbish <laughs> in a pub quiz. But you're, you're, full of, you're full of amazing facts. It's brilliant, so thank you. I, I, I think it's fair to say I'm the very model of what happens if you're a very small boy, too many model trains when he's very small, um, and you end up with a massive train set because my train set just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually I ended up pretty much effective with Britain's model or National Railway Network as my train set, as I, I, I don't think of it. Um, because <laughs> it is so full of amazing facts and people and things and processes doing different stuff and there are so many places to go and explore, so many intricates of processes and objects and, and inventions to help keep it work. It's just full of incredible stuff and stories. So you talked about you've had this model railway at home. So how old are you when you, you got your first bit of track? <laughs> There's a picture of me. I think I'm aged three, probably aged two years old. And um, Hornby, for some bizarre reason, had a model train set with a model train called Timmy. And Timmy the model train went round and around in circles as a clockwork train set. And it started off with that, now that I'm on a little baseboard for years. And then my father then went and bought, uh, second hand for my, for my Christmas present, I think it was, a, a big six foot by four foot model train set someone else had built for their, their children and they'd finished with it. And so dad bought it second hand for me with all these model trains. And I had this whizzing around my bedroom on, on, on the floor. And after that, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. We, we bought more and more track. And then we bought more model train sets that didn't fit together, made of plastic, went out in the garden as well. So we had pla- So I, I remember at one point, <laughs> I remember this, I'd forgotten about this. We had model train tracks sort of crisscrossing our lawn, the back of the house. 
and we'd pack it onto big boxes and bags. We'd shift off to my grandparents' houses, and these train these train networks would get built across their houses. And, and my granny used to love it. She'd say, "Well, it's so nice having children in the house again, so and so." But gosh, it doesn't doesn't it get underfoot? And and <laughs> we had these little battery train sets that whizz around the house, delivering food to people and, and biscuits around different different rooms oh, of the house. Oh wow! Like you Gromit. must have been a perfect child, though. Never bored. Always oh, I, busy. <laughs> I, I, it's fair to say, in my life, I have never had a day of boredom. I think I, I, I can never remember a day in my life I've ever been bored. That's amazing. Oh, I wish you could bring that to my household. Mum, I'm bored. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, but my son was very much the same into his trains as well. And, and like you, because I know you, it was thanks to your grandparents that you got into trains. And, and my son as well, my um, parents and all took him to Didcot, which, you know, the massive loads of trains there. So what did your grandparents take you to, to stations to look at trains or did you go on train journeys? Well, I, I was very lucky in that because I grew up in, in South Buckinghamshire, it meant that not only was I near places like Didcot and Quainton Railway Centre, um, which actually we, we go to in this new series of, of the Underground Programme, and we go and find the, the, the places that I knew as a small child up at this disused tube station, effectively, up in the north of Buckinghamshire. We went to places like Beckenscott Model Village in Buckinghamshire. Now, Beckenscott, which, which some listeners, I'm sure, will know, is a model village of great repute. In fact, it's Britain's oldest original model village. And at the age of sort of you know, three, my first visit, or four, I was transfixed. Here is a complete landscape, like my back garden, with train sets across it. But not just train sets, but whole houses and towns and villages and, wa- and, and castles and model people and, my goodness, and ships and docks and coal mines. And, and I went there, and by the age of, of nine, I think it was, I was writing letters to them every few weeks saying, <laughs> can I please come and, can I, can you come and work here? And eventually they broke. <laughs> <laughs> After you know the, the legal age, you got in there, and yeah. you know, they were like, "How many more letters is this boy going to send us?" That's amazing. And what was your job there then? Oh, I started running the model railway, so I was in the big signal box, pulling levers, making the model trains work, which was again a, 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 again, a dream. I, I had this massive model train set. It was it's ten scale miles of track. It had eight stations, perhaps with thirty trains. You could sort of couple up and recouple and wagons and coaches and engines. Oh, we had so much fun. And then they said, as I got older at weekends, and because lots of friends from school also worked there as well, because it became like, you know, there's a customer service area, there's a cafe and there's a, you know, a welcome area and a shop and so on, you'll get to work in different areas. And of course, because it's a big tourist attraction for South Bucks, it's, it means that it's, uh, my school friends work there as well. So loads of us worked there, it became a big sort of social event. And we ended up running this model railway for, for, for effectively for the next 10, 12 years, up to, up to university years. But I got to build trains as well, and I got to design a whole model town. And so doing a geography degree and being fascinated by the world around me, and also because I'd grown up with trains and, and books given to me by my grandfather, my, my whole world was informed effectively through this lens of trains. So here I was building a model railway, building towns around a model railway, reading books about railways and railway history. And I, I guess, literally, I, my, my whole world has been informed by, by the railway system. And so around me, I, I was building them, creating them. Went to university to do geography and histori- historic geography and learned about railways and historic geography. And I thought, what on earth can I do as a job? And I thought, OK, what I'll do, what, do I, what can I do being a geography graduate or a historic geography graduate? I could be a weatherman. Yes. <laughs> I could be a weatherman uh, or go and study glaciers or be a town planner. And my father said to me, no, no, I will disown you if you become a town planner because of what he, what he didn't, he didn't like town planners because of what he did to, I think, his, his, his hometown when he was younger. And so I thought, OK, well, 
I like telling stories. I, I, I like a good story. And I learned about marketing a bit at university. And I, at university as well, I ran the radio station. Because, I, again, I, I, I love radio. I, I find radio fascinating. And I, I grew up with BBC Radio Berkshire and, and Thames Valley Radio and Radio Oxford and Three Counties Radio and Radio Solent. And so to me, BBC Local Radio just inspired me to, to, to the, the joy of, of, of listening and also creating stories. People wanted to hear. And, and Ali, I, I know you've worked across radio stations on, on, on your career. And you've done some wonderful things across that. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, I did the campus radio and I think you went to Exeter as well. And uh, it's, it's a brilliant way of kind of getting into radio and, and just getting that love and talking and communicating. But what I can't understand is that you said you, you, know, you weren't sure what you were going to do, but how on earth do you pitch yourself to be a, a TV presenter <laughs> to talk about trains? Because that is tricky. It's very tricky. And, and, and the media is so hard to get into, right? And... and it, it's often who you know and, and, and not what you know. But I didn't really know anybody in the media at that time. But I had this experience of, of this model railway at Beckenscott. And for some bizarre reason, I ended up, <laughs> it's a long story, but I ended up working and volunteering for the Sierra Leone National Railway Museum, as one does, um, in, in Freetown, in Sierra Leone, briefly. And I ended up also working in some museums with a friend of mine who worked at the National Railway Museum. And through that, I ended up curating in my spare... All this is in my spare time. It's, it, it, it's all voluntary work. And again, they often say in, in the media world, you must do a lot, of, a lot of work, and in museums as well. If you want to work in museums and media, you have to go and do voluntary work. And I ended up curating an exhibition about miniature railways and the seaside railways in, in Cleethorpes, of all places. Mm. And um, because of that, I, I also heard by my, my, my housemate in London a couple of years later, heard or he read in some magazine, I think it was Broadcast magazine, that BBC Four had just commissioned a television programme called Train Spotting Live. And this is, gosh, this is about six, seven years ago now. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> oh no, this is going to be dreadful. This is going to be absolutely horrific if I don't get involved because they're going to be horrible about train spotters, aren't they? Because at that point, train spotters had had a pretty naff press. If you think back, I, I can remember even my, one of my heroes, Victoria Wood, laughing at train spotters on one of her stand-up gigs. And that really made me very sad because, you know, he's a hero of mine. And, but, and, and, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, she was very funny, but I remember thinking, just stop, stop taking the mick. It's, it, it's not fair because so many of my friends are train spotters and they were very hurt by it. And I thought, right, it's time to change it. it, it yeah. It's time to, to set the story straight on this because actually train spotting is a lovely thing. And train spotters are often very lovely people and railway enthusiasts are often very lovely, kind people who do this, they have a hobby that is quite insular because it's a nice, it's a safe space. Who never harm anybody, who do it through love. I thought, right, let's go for this. I can do comms, I can do marketing. I'm gonna do a comms job on train spotting. And so I did it. And so I managed to pitch myself to the production company. And it's cool to be a nerd, isn't it? It is now, but it wasn't back then. <laughs> Maybe it was eight, eight years ago. It wasn't, very, it wasn't cool to be a nerd. Except some people... I, I was like, I said, to, I said to the producers, how is it cool that you lot can say, I know all the football results for your football team for the past 40 years, or I know, the, you know all of these stats for Star Wars and collect all the... How is that cool, yet train spotting is not? What's the difference? That's a great pitch. Yeah, and, and, and they looked at me and they said, you're right. Anyway, and, and this meeting I had with them, it wasn't really a pitch to be a presenter, but it was a pitch about why railway enthusiasts are lovely and wonderful. 
And this meeting started off at the production company with two of us in the room. When I finished that meeting, an hour later, there were 15 of us in the room. And I didn't really, I didn't really notice what was going on. They, they were, the producer was inviting people via his little sort of instant messenger to come and listen to this meeting because I was giving this monologue, like I am now to you, really. Um, and, and I hadn't really noticed this was happening because I was so enthralled by what I was saying. I was so impassioned. About... It's not a monologue, it's great. I was just so excited at what I was getting a chance to say for the first time. And I, st- I stood back and went, and that's what I think you should be talking about. And then stood up and went, <laughs> oh... <laughs> You're all here. <laughs> anyway. Where did you come from? Where did you come from? <laughs> Wait, were you nervous though? No. No, because it, it, they were just producers. And, 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 and you know, it, it was just lots of in, I thought, just interested people. And I've done public speaking before. And I did, I did radio before. And, and, I, and, and you know, I was telling a story. And it was a nice story, one I believed in. And also, you were a little bit cross as well, because you wanted to put, you know... <laughs> I was furious. You wanted to change <laughs> yeah, I was furious, and I was just going to give it. Yeah, why not? A hundred percent. I walked out the door thinking, oh, this, this is all fine. And my phone rang as I was walking towards the tube station in Camden Town. And it was a producer and said, hello, Tim, um, look, we've been talking since you left the room. Do you just want to come and present this? <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'll come and present it. Um, I hadn't got an agent, anything like that. But, we, but um, I signed a deal and I, I took that time off work. That is incredible. And it started from there. And then I decided, after that happened, I also then thought to myself a couple of years later, look, I was so fed up with looking at the railway in having such bad press the whole time because I have so many friends across the railway who work on it, who operate it, who drive trains on it, who restore bits of it, who look after buildings, who work on stations, who genuinely love the thing they do. And I was so fed up. Everything on the, on the, on the, on the television was either stuff like... Paddington 24-7, which, incidentally, I'm sitting in Paddington Station right now. In, in fact, next to some of the rooms, they filmed those, those very, very same things in. Um, either stuff about sort of difficulty or jeopardy, or it was programmes on the news about fair rises or problems or difficult stuff. But there were so many lovely things happening on the railway that I thought were not getting on there. I thought, right, it's time to set the record straight about the thing that I love. So I pitched uh, this series about railway buildings to a friend of a friend who ran a production company, Again, who, it's, not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. She, a coincidence, she ran a production company and she had also done a programme about railway restoration things with Peter Snow, who I'd worked on on Trainspotting Live. And thought, oh, there's, there's a circle there. There is a connection. There's a connection there. And then I, I met her for lunch with a friend in St Pancras in the big waiting room, a booking office, had our lunch there. And we talked about trains and railways and lovely things and the beauty of railways and design and architecture and so on. And a few weeks later... She came back and said, Will, we've got this commissioned. And I said... You are a what? prime example of passion and just just going for it. But, you know, don't you think? Just, you know, and, and also not really caring because that first pitch, you didn't know that you were going to be the presenter. No. So I guess you just kind of thought, I'll just do it. And then, you know, having a bit more wind beneath your wings, you just went for the second time. And then I bet you were surprised, though. Uh, I bowled over. Uh, I still look back and go, what? Every time we have a television programme or someone um, speaks to me like we are now for a podcast, or I, I genuinely am, um, I hate the word humble brag, but, but, but 
I genuinely am because I, I, I find it remarkable. Um, I'm, because I'm so, I'm very, very lucky. I'm incredibly lucky, and I, I, I never forget that. I'm, I'm, I've had a lot of privilege to, uh, in, in places to get me to certain places, but I'm very lucky to have a, a, a forum to talk about it, and I, I, I always try to do the best I can for it, because you owe a lot of people an awful lot because of where you, where, where, where you get to, and you always, mm. always remember what you do. Um, but when you get somewhere and something happens by luck, <laughs> you think, it isn't just luck, it isn't just luck, because there's some other people have helped you do it. So I had, I had an idea for this programme, but very clever people saw an idea and went, oh, there's an idea, let's make this really, really good. And the talent of that, of that production company and that team at Brown Bob, um, they're called Brown Bob, incidentally, because the two women who ran the, who ran the or run it still, had Brown Bob <laughs> haircuts. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant idea. <laughs> So, um, and, and, and they had this idea to turn it into this programme. And I thought, oh, they said, oh, Tim, we've got a commission for this programme uh, about railway architecture. And I said, oh, great. Oh, what, maybe like episode, two episodes, thinking like John Betjeman-style documentary. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, ten episodes, an hour each. I mean, ten hours of railway buildings? What? And that then became 30 hours. But it just shows there's an appetite for it as well. Because, exactly. You know, I was watching um, some of your Secrets of the London Underground and, uh, you know, I was, I'll be honest, I thought, what's this going to be like? Because, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I, I like going on a train, but I'm not sure I would watch a programme about it. I'll be honest. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, those yellow lines, they glow in the dark by the, uh, by the train. And uh, there are the, all the different seats and, and where the films are shot. And I'm like, I'm, I'm getting into this. And then I look at your timeline and, you know, you're not only tweeting about great facts about trains, but wonderful architecture. And there is nothing better than seeing a great building on my Twitter timeline when everyone's having a bit of a rant. So... You know, it's 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 having a niche and, and becoming an expert at it, isn't it? But also sharing your passion and maybe telling people like me who I didn't think I was interested in that, I actually am. So thank you. Well, I, I'm very glad. Thank you very much. Um, when I was very, very small, I was very privileged um, to have a very talented English teacher called Mr Daintree. And uh, he's long gone now. Um, but he, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he gave me a bit of advice, and I think, every day. He said... Um, Pick a niche in life and be the best at that niche you can possibly be. Oh, I was crying now saying it because it, it's such oh. a lovely thing. Because he, he's a very kind man and um, all of us in, in that schoolroom of, what, 20 of us, you know, a lot of us have gone on to pick a niche in life, a very, very small niche, and we've tried to do the best that we possibly do. Um, oh, sorry, I'm always crying. I'm actually crying thinking it's stinky. Oh, I'm <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't want this to be an upsetting experience, no, no, but I no, think no. it's a, an emotional experience. It is. It is. So this, this is the man who, when he died, he had no children, and actually he left all of his money uh, to uh, it was five children uh, he taught over the years who had been wow. expelled or had been, had been had left school for difficult reasons, and had given, he created a trust fund without them knowing for those five children, and had given it to those children. That is incredible. And then now, do you know where that what they're doing? Yes, and it, all the money had to go towards projects they wanted to do to make their lives better. And the, the executor of the will uh, then had to sit with them and, and, and was paid to do this job. So each of those children was given something like, a, I think it was like £100,000, something like, like, something like that, to, for a business venture they wanted to do to give them a start-up in life again. Now, and of course, this, this is 20 years later. So, so kids, you know, perhaps you know, in their early 30s, late 20s, were given £100,000 each and they had no idea where it was from. That's incredible. 
That's why I'm crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a story. No, well, I can believe it. That's just what a legacy. And also, he's made an impact on on their lives, on not just them, but everyone he's taught, and, and you as well, that you can remember. That niche thing is such a, a, a big thing. And I think if you have a passion in life, and even if you're struggling and, you know, you think, oh, this is not going to work... Because you love it, it's not a chore, is it? And and you just I mean, you said you were lucky, but you just keep at it. And I'm sure that even if you hadn't been lucky, you'd be still writing letters and banging your head <laughs> uh, against doors to get in, wouldn't you? Oh, frequently. In fact, I, I, I still do. And so, you know, quite often, I'm very lucky to do this stuff with, with the early railway things. But but what's been so fortuitous since that point, because I suppose I had this this, this dual role, I suppose, of, of again at university, um, learning historical geography and the theory behind historical research. Um, I been able to do historical research off my own back as well and to turn myself as a historian as a part-time historian on railways Mm. now that's also been very useful as well from from an angle where I work as well with companies these days as well um, as on a freelance basis because they want someone who can communicate accurately and um, with uh, I suppose some authenticity about the past of railways and how the future of railways is looking as well. So often I'll work with groups like Network Rail or indeed Great Western Railway who I'm sitting in their offices right now with lovely posters <laughs> behind them, some of their wonderful yeah. campaigns of Cardiff, Oxford and, and disappearing oh, off at the adventures. The, the famous five are behind me. What, what, what kind of a career could anyone wish for that their current... I'm, I'm, I'm talking to someone like yourself, an expert in their field, and behind me I have posters of the famous five going off on train trips. I mean, what, what a lovely <laughs> job I have today. I've, I've able to occupy an air, a, a space, I suppose, in, in the middle of, of genuine enthusiasm and joy and trying to uncover the lovely side and the, and the stories of passion and enthusiasm and delight that so many railway employees have across this huge network that we have, because frankly, it is a, it is a vast, sprawling beast of a network that we have in, the, in this country. To find those stories, uncover them, and talk about the, the innovation we've got today that, that is happening on those two, on those twin strips of steel. Because mm. what's happening, if you think about this, we are, we're heading very, very soon towards 2025. And 2025 is very exciting for this country. We don't, we don't know about it yet. 2025 is the 200th anniversary of the very first steam hauled passenger public train in the world. And um, we are looking at the moment of how that might look across the UK. And so if we think about these twin strips of steel that started off in Stockton and Darlington 197 years ago now, how did those twin strips of steel then sort of join town to town, city to city, business to business, person to person, help us make better choices, help us transport us around the world, and those twin ships of steel then kind of cover and knit the whole nation together. Suddenly, the story of Britain is is entwined by these twin strips of steel and that's quite exciting and we're heading towards that in just three years time so how we think about that and how we engage with the country and get the whole country thinking about how railways have changed their lives everything from standardizing time you know for example in bristol the bristol corn exchange clock here's a fun fact for you um at bristol (laughs) corn exchange clock i think it's it's got two minute hands that that are set together because it has Bristol old time and railway time. Now, railway time is, is, is current time, Britain's normal time. Bristol old time is, I think it's seven and a half minutes slower than London time. And forever, the people of Bristol have got two 
two minute hands that go round on their corn exchange to prove that they still are Bristol. Writing that down, remembering that. Thank you very much. That's, that's something I can astound somebody with. There's a pub quiz Fantastic. somewhere for that. There really is. Um, and I, I know you're celebrating the trains and, you know, it, you're so passionate about it. I mean, there is a slight problem at the moment with COVID and post-COVID. And do you think we're going to get back to where we were? Because, you know, more people are working from home. They all seem to be quite crowded, the trains. Um, Andy Burnham was tweeting about the cost of, you know, you could fly to Europe cheaper than, than you can go up to Manchester. So there's there's still quite a there's still quite a battle to be won, isn't there? I think when people like Andy Burnham tweet things like that, I think he it it, it is unfortunately it's, it's very it's rather silly actually because um he he's doing it uh, it is almost a false ignorance because he knows very well there are very cheap ways of getting to Europe and in very cheap ways of taking the train in both locations. So there 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 are always ways to find cheaper, expensive and find comparisons. I'm not gonna get drawn on train ticket train prices because again it, 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 there are so many combinations and there are there are an awful lot of very clever people behind the scenes, and dozens of people working behind the scenes with brains bigger than a planet, <laughs> trying to work out um, how to rebuild our fare system that is, is 200 years old, effectively. How do you unpick that? Because there, there are some train fare systems that have got their roots when Queen Victoria was alive, for example. You know, that's how complex this whole thing is. <laughs> but but yeah. you, you ask me, uh, will railways come back? The answer is yes. Yes, they will. And, 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 and it may not be the same as it was before. And what I, what's interesting is we're seeing a bounce back now of the leisure travel happening very, very fast. Trains now in Scotland are busier at weekends than they are on weekdays. That's fascinating. Wow. Um, yeah. you know, and so how do you change and it will take time it can't happen immediately because you have to look at the safety and the interiors and, the, and, and again the staffing and the scoping and again these are huge things people much cleverer than I can ever deal with um, how do you rebuild a railway network and a system that supports it and the people and their lives and people's houses have been bought based on where they live and where they go and, and ticket prices what can you do to enforce a new railway world and one powered by a different railway that helps people in different ways and different patterns. That will happen. But, but I, I have no doubt the railway will 100% get back to where it was and indeed surpass where it was and go back in a very different form and help people in a very different way because I have seen the way people work on this railway and they don't do it for a laugh, they don't do it just for a job, they do it through love. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Listen, I think we've got about five, ten minutes left, so I'm going to ask you a quick, couple of quick fire questions. Best train station? I'm sitting right now in Paddington Station, but I'm afraid to say my favourite... I'm being looked at across this room <laughs> by at least three people who are furrowing their brows at me. Um, best train station? One of my favourite stations in the world is oddly... For, for glamour is St Pancras because it is so ridiculous. Yeah. It is so ridiculous. Is. But also to me, it, 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 is the, it is the portal to the rest of the world because I travel by train uh, if I ever can. And so to go to the rest of the world, if I want to go abroad, I take a Eurostar and I then go to, from Paris somewhere else across Europe because that is the portal. And also, it's, it's a fun fact for you. Uh, the whole of St Pancras was built not just as a great glamorous uh, sort of gothic confection. It is built as a sales showroom for everything inside St Pancras Station is built from materials that could be bought across the Midland Railway network. So wow. the granite, the, uh, the marble, the, the stones, all, the, all the, the sandstone, everything was quarried and shipped in 
on the railway from a local station on the network. So it's basically it's saying, the Midland Railway, you can buy your stuff across our region from here. It's like a showroom for all their, all their clients. And that's it's so clever. This is quick fire. This is quick fire, Tim. So I'm <laughs> going to have to move on to the next question. <laughs> but amazing fact. Thank you. Best train journey. Best train journey. Um, I love the train journey from London down to Plymouth, going along Dawlish, oh, along the sea Yes. Where you feel you are flying along, uh, coasting like a hovercraft or a, a, a sea liner along the sea. Because <laughs> there's nothing like staring out a train window and just, it's so romantic. And, and also, where's the best place to stand on the platform when you want to get on the train? Because I always choose the wrong carriage. I always stand, if I possibly can, uh, at the very front of the train, because usually people, people's journeys terminate stations where the trains start, often at the back. So people start at the back because you, they start at the buffers, and people kind of right. walk at the end of it. So that, so the people never go to the very far end. So usually I go to the very very front of the train, and you will usually find the seats are at the front. Even a window seat. Even Perfect. A window. So if we were looking back at the pivotal moments of your career and, um, you know, where did it all go right? I'd say there's a lot of enthusiasm and <laughs> passion, but also being cross. You know, Victoria Wood saying something that made you get cross and fired up and then just going in and having the balls to just sell yourself. And also, you know, you talk about your teacher and, and, and saying having a niche. That was incredibly important. Have, and, and your grandparents and your family and their support as well. What have I missed? I, I think it's fair to say everything in my life has been down to other people um, empowering me and, and saying, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can. Why not? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And listening to my passion and enthusiasm, sure, but it's always been other people saying, yes, we, 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 we see your enthusiasm, we'll join you on that journey. And so it, it's always been in partnership with other people. So it's, it's never been alone. All my success has been down to teamwork and other people coming with me. But, but, but you're selling yourself short as well, because, you know, it, it's down to you as well. You know, I know it's team effort, but you've got to have that fire in your belly and that passion, which um, is, is so clear to see. And I'm excited about what's next. What have what we got coming up? Which production offices are you storming into to take over our toes next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, quite frankly, I'd like some time off. Um, but no, I, I have a, I have a, a part-time job, um, which I, has been a full-time job up, up to pretty much now. I've had to go part-time in, in, in a job I have as travel editor for a very large ticket retailing company that, that sells train tickets, that sits in the middle of the industry. But I... I, I I'm hoping that over the next year or two um, to do far more work with the heritage side of things and museums. And as we work towards 2025, um, working out how we can put railways at the heart of the British psyche again and help, help Britain be proud of its railways again and understand where they are like they are and just understand just how much they have helped us in the past and how much, as we head towards, you know, through a climate emergency, how we can use railways again to help deliver a whole new world and, and, and put it at the centre of the future of this country. Because I'm, I'm so proud of what my friends do at the moment. I hope I can help deliver uh, more of it in the future. I, I'm, I'm feeling that passion through the Zoom call. I'm getting on that train to Dawlish. I'm going to stand at the front of the carriage. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to going on more train journeys and, and watching more Secrets of the, the London Underground and finding out all about, oh, 
the stuff that I had no idea about as well. Are you getting on a train today? I am. I'm actually going off a train today. I'm, I'm, I'm filming on a train from Reading to London. I'm actually talking on, on, on the train about the, the joy of the Elizabeth Line, which, uh, as, as we record this, um, hasn't yet opened to the public. But I have been down uh, yesterday and, and last week. I was down there riding on the Elizabeth Line. In fact, yesterday, here's a top secret... Because we were recording down there, I ended up having effectively a private Elizabeth Line train just for me and our two, our two assistants. So we, we went all the way from Canary Wharf uh, to, to Paddington and back and back again. Just three of us and a TFL person and a driver doing the whole Elizabeth Line by ourselves, looking at these amazing stations. And I can tell you now... London and Britain is going to be just knocked off their feet when you see this railway line. It is incredible. I can't wait. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And I can't wait to see what what you're going to share with us on telly next and and what you do next. And uh, thank you so much for for telling us about how you got to do well. It's definitely the job you love. And and I really hope that you've um, you've empowered other people to to find their niche and do what they want to do as well, Tim. Well, thank you for joining me on this this journey. Um, It's a long one, a long way to go yet. Uh, And I, I, yeah, and thank you everyone who's who's helped me get here so far. Thanks to Tim for being brilliant. And we've got some other great TV presenters on the podcast to listen to. Spend some time with Spencer Kelly, Ade Adepatan, Saira Khan, Al Murray, Chris Lintot and Adam Buxton. Not all together, by the way. Thanks so much for listening. Give us a rating if you don't mind and you can follow us on Twitter at WhereGoRight. Megan was on production duties again this week, so thanks to her for being a technical wizard and Laura Shipsey for the music. See you next week. <laughs>